Welcome to the Yellow Light Go podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. This is a podcast for creatives and uh, the people who have to deal with them. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It seems meaningful to me that uh, we're starting, uh, or at least opening our first season, maybe only season of the podcast, uh, <laughs> on values and uh, the sort of the val- values of creative people and how they might defer um, or how they might reflect the values of, you know, normally normal people. <laughs> defer. <laughs> well, they may defer. D- differ, right? Is it differ? <laughs> I think so, man. It's not like Swiffer, man. It's differ how they defer. Okay, maybe. Well, your your way sounds weird. much more regal and interesting. So, <laughs> let's either, go with that. Carry e- on. Either way, using a word like defer or differ, well, my girlfriend would make fun of me for it. Um, so, one of the values of creative people that uh, I think is just ubiquitous in the world. Everybody says cr- uh, education um, is valuable, right? We we pay massive lip service to it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like ev- <laughs> like education is, is a is a big thing. And uh, creative people, um, I think, have uh, perhaps not a unique uh, relationship with education, um, but certainly one that I think uh, is worth talking about as something different. Um, one thing that's for sure uh, the case with us as creatives is that we know from j- the jump that we are going into a lifetime of learning and right. teaching what we've learned. You know, I I, I heard uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, the founder of Wired Magazine, he's this really cool futurist guy, um, being interviewed. And the interviewer asked him, knowing all the things he knows about how quickly the world is changing now, mm-hmm. um, with technology and, you know, AI, automation, all that what degree he would want his kids to go into or what field. He said, I have no idea what field will even exist, but Mm. I can guarantee that with the speed and pace of the world and how much it's speeding up, like exponentially, that the only thing that will have any value will be meta-learning. That is knowing how to learn and how you learn best Mm. because we'll all be perpetual newbies in everything. Wow. You know, I whether mean, you're yeah. eight or 80, you know, we'll all be perpetual newbies. So I think as mm. a lot of people in civilian life are starting to catch on to this idea that that is what the future is going to look like, mm. constant learning, retraining, mm. you know, whatever your field is. Certainly we have to do it every iPhone update, right? Every right. time we get a, a new phone or a new computer, like yeah. whatever that is, like a, a new program. We're, um, and I think we have a tendency to hate that. Right. right, we hate it. Like it doesn't matter what the change is. It doesn't matter if it's a good change. We don't evaluate whether or not it's going to be a good change. We just hate the fact that we have to learn something new that's right. like sort of imposed on us. Right. Well, as artists, we've signed up for this from from Jump Street. Uh, we've yeah, certainly uh, as a you know as a professional touring musician, it is my job to learn new songs uh, all the time. Right. I have to learn a new song. I actually have to be excellent at learning new songs. I right. have to be very good at it. Very good. And there are guys who do it. Uh, and teaching it to other people in your <clears throat> band. Oh, oh right? yeah, sure. As a music All director, I have to teach it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, understanding the best way to teach that, providing those. All right, that's important. Um, right. But then there are guys who, like here in Nashville, guys who play on Broadway, um, or uh, even better, studio musicians, mm. who walk into a room and have to play new songs every time they walk into a room. Right. They got... 
half an hour, an hour to perfect the song. Right. To go from not knowing it to playing it perfectly for all posterity on this record. That's right. And that's that's a studio musician, Jacob. You've uh, you've played on the Star Wars soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, I just use that. It's not the only thing he's done. I just feel like that's like if you say he's played on the Star on Star like the Star Wars movie, uh, then you know all of the stuff he had to do to get up to that. I, personally, I don't know. Maybe that's too reductive, but you had to go in and essentially you had to be able to play those parts right with mastery the first time you read through them, right? That's right. your job. That's right. Yeah. But, so you had to learn like instantly. You had to look down at the piece page and right. be able to learn that quickly. So obviously learning for us, uh, as, just specifically as musicians, um, but as creative people. But uh, as a child, we learn one way, but we have to continue learning as adults. And as adults, we're not, generally as good at learning as children. Right. Right? Right. Jacob, what are like some of the things that you do to be a good learner as an old ass man? Yeah. Yeah. Learning as an adult, right? That's a big topic. Um, The first huge thing I try to do uh, that I've found has been really useful for me um, is to to begin with the end in mind, in other words, mm. to create like this bridge for the, to create accountability, right? And we all know as adults, nothing gets done unless we have some accountability. Usually, whether it's to, you know to our boss or to whatever. So, it, to me, there's kind of three parts to that, uh, or three types of accountability. And usually, when I've kind of failed in my uh, meta learning project or things have gone sideways, I can usually go back as a post-mortem and find where one of these things were missing. So the first thing is, is there has to be uh, accountability and community, mm. right? There has to be, you know, if I want to, uh, you know, for example, when I was learning how to cook or when I was going to teach myself how to cook, the first thing I did was send out an invite, right? Uh-huh. To you and to some right. of my best friends, mm-hmm. an invitation to a dinner party, uh, that I was going to be cooking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I found, yeah, that virtually no one is able to achieve any type of ambitious goal when they just, you know, write it in their New Year's resolutions or journal it or decide it in the privacy of their own mind. Mm-hmm. For some reason, as social animals, that tends to not be sufficient to kind of get us over the hump to generate the kind of energy we need to make actual change. Uh the second one um, uh, is we need to have real specificity. You know, we need to have like, uh, so we can't just have accountability and community by itself. There needs to be like a date, a time, mm, a place, mm-hmm, right. right? So that we can say, okay, this is what proficiency will look like, and this is what will happen in this place, in this date, in this time. Right. So, for example, when I was trying to learn how to play guitar, um, there was this, you know, silly coffee shop next to my place and uh they have an open mic night uh-huh. uh once every two weeks so before i even bought a guitar i signed up to perform as a solo guitarist for that open <laughs> mic night <laughs> for the end of the month little did they know this is the world's best cellist <laughs> playing at the talking stick and least experienced guitarist <laughs> at that point um yeah. but but that was that was really really important for me um uh-huh. You know, if if people 
ask me about, you know, motivation and they're practicing or something like that, the first thing I always say is, is forget about coming up with specific practice goals in terms of, I'm going to practice three hours a day, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to go to the gym every week. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is create that, here's when my recital is, right. here's when the bodybuilding competition, invite, invite or I'm going to take bikini yeah. shots of myself, you know, if you're if you're a girl, you know, my mm-hmm. wife, when she's trying to get in shape, mm-hmm. she didn't set any type of specific goals or, okay, I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to work out three hours a day, or I'm going to eat this many calories. All she did was put down money for that bikini shoot in right. in three months. And all of those other things literally took care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the third the third thing is mm-hmm. is money. Uh, I remember you told me once, Noah, uh, that Christ talked about how the heart is tied to the purse strings. Uh, what, yeah. what was the exact quote? That uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yes. That's good. Yes. And uh, so I find like as an adult... There's something magical about, even if it's just a couple of dollars, mm-hmm. committing to that future, that that goal that we want to achieve, that we've right. made tangible, mm-hmm. with any amount of money. Uh, and of course, in my case, being Jewish, you know, I'm a little cheap. So, I mean, you know, I can get away with even less money. And it's just really, really is transformative um, uh, for helping uh, <laughs> to kind of get me over that hump. <laughs> <laughs> that's just so that that took a second to settle in with man that's funny uh yeah so it kept like, it was a little sk- bit slow yeah folks. skin in skin in the game uh you know putting a deposit down for uh, a photo shoot um buying a guitar uh that i mean skin in the game make i mean all that stuff makes sense so uh, accountability in community or or uh, starting with a, a picture of what the success or what the goal actually looks like specificity in that right well yeah so and for, you can't have any of these types of accountability if you haven't had that created that clarity right it's like right. what does proficiency look like it's me playing a john mayer tune at open mic night what, in a what, month what john mayer tune was it um it was uh who do who do you think i was who oh, that's was? not that's difficult yeah oh, yeah okay, that cool. sliding court oh my gosh man hours and hours um yeah. and then for cooking what did proficiency look like that for you it, it was a dinner party that i invited all of you guys to three course meal that's right oh that's right and i didn't even know what i was going to make every detail will sort itself out that's right i was there for once. that yeah okay i remember that so I month a i remember that soup month. you a... um you called me Yes. To ask you to teach you how to make a meal. Yes. Said, that was another me, kind of accountability. Meal. Yes, right. exactly. Um, but you didn't just do that with me. You did that with several people. That's right. Each course was a different person who was close to me in my life uh-huh. that I had like really good cooking skills. So obviously mm-hmm. you were the first person I talked to, but then I talked to uh, one of my former ch- adult cello students, Lauren, uh-huh. uh, who's a painter, but also just been super passionate about cooking her whole life. And, and what did she teach you how to make? Uh, a the... tomato soup. It was a tomato, tomato bisque. Soup? It was a tomato bisque, yeah. Was... I thought it was carrot. Wasn't it carrot? Oh yeah, it was. You're right. It was yeah. carrot bisque. See, yeah. Sorry, this has been a couple of years. Don't now. fuck with me on the food. No, no, I, I won't. No, I, yeah. I won't. You I are. Remember, you are yeah. the man. And then my cousin Eric taught me how to make his famous uh, blueberry cheesecake. Uh, cheesecake. Yeah. yeah, and he's kind of the, you know, in our family, he has this sort of legendary status of. Uh, his grandmother was an amazing cook, like uh-huh. world class. Right. And he, when she died, the only thing he asked for was her cookbook. Uh-huh. And he's actually writing, he's a writer as well uh, and an entrepreneur, but he's actually writing a cookbook about the history of our family 
through Through her recipes recipes. like how they change because the first recipes are like this kind of immigrant food you Mm -hmm. know coming from poland and then you know kind of poor people's you know jewish immigrant food and then as they became more of like middle class american family in Uh the 50s you know there's more recipes that incorporate you know just a different lifestyle and the different ingredients and culture that came with it so it's kind of a cool concept that's gorgeous Yeah. yeah so of course you'd call him did did I remember the first time I ever had a chocolate babka. Yes. Eric made that. Oh, yeah. And that, you said, you have to try this. And I was like, no, nah, dude, I'm watching my weight. And you said, I don't give a fuck. You need to eat this. It's like a total was, mouth fuck, right? It was it's exquisite. Like, yeah. It was ex- I remember. That's magic. It's amazing. That was the only thing I'd ever had that. Oh, the cheesecake, which you made. Yeah. I remember the cheesecake being very good. I remember yeah, the soup being excellent. It was probably mediocre. The soup yeah. was excellent. I, I but and then the the middle of it, of course I taught you how to make a pan roasted chicken. That's exactly right. Yeah, the yeah. pan roasted chicken was a great recipe. Yeah. We'll go into that on another podcast, maybe. <laughs> um, so that process uh, of like at, like you, I mean, you chose your teachers based on people who are close to you and people yeah. who are good at teaching or good at cooking. Yeah. So being good at learning as an adult, yeah, you got to find your teachers, right? Yeah, that's probably, I would say, the most important thing, um, or, you know, outside of this accountability, because uh-huh. nothing nothing moves without ac- accountability. It's right. like, there's like a physics involved in, you sure. know, the energy required, because as you get older, it takes more energy to get out of the habits, the inertia of the habits you're in, to right. just, what it, what's required to just, yeah, to, 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 to get in the reps, man. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so finding your, and I, well, if you're talking about accountability, I know that I never wanted to perform as well for anybody as I did for the teachers that I respect. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I think I think we can all relate to that. You know, mm-hmm. for your coach, for your so yeah, finding a a guru I think is a really um, underrated uh, and I think often misunderstood kind of process uh-huh. um, as, as adults. Obviously, as a kid, even our private teachers, our sports coaches, everyone outside of school and inside of school, it's kind of, uh, we get the teachers we get. Um, right. But as an adult, I think the art of selecting, you know, finding a guru is really important. And I, I think the most common fallacy or mistake people make when looking for a guru, whether it's like a personal trainer or uh, uh, right. someone to teach them music. Mm-hmm. Or cooking. It, yeah. Is that we look for achievement and accomplishment first. Right. So you're looking for a trainer and you find this like Adonis who has the most perfect eight pack abs you can imagine. And, you know, yep. Uh, yep. the physique that you can never dream of. And we use that as kind of the main qualification in selecting. I mean, it's, uh-huh. you know, we we intuit that they must know, all, have all of the secrets sure. of beauty, heaven and earth. Beauty is goodness, man. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or often, you know, very well-trained musicians um, will, you know, in conservatory, uh, the conservatory system we went through, it's ripe with... Uh, these brilliant musicians, you know, principals of major orchestras or sol- soloists who have no idea how to teach, who literally couldn't teach their way out of a paper bag, but because they are famous players, they can select great students to come to them and somehow they develop this, perversely, they develop this reputation as being great teachers. Um, 
And are you gonna are you gonna name names right now? So you're talking <laughs> deep shit about the teachers at your particular conservatory. Well, I'll tell you one story. I'll tell you one little uh, the quote that I love. Uh, one of my incredible teachers that I had at the Cleveland Institute of Music, where I did my undergraduate, uh, Doctor uh, David Neil Brown, uh, was fond of saying, "You know, Jacob, I was one of the lucky ones. You know, I didn't have any famous teachers." Mm. Mm. And um, Another great story right. that makes that I think really il- illustrates this is you know our our friend Tim Ferriss, um, who's a very good guru uh, to have <laughs> for, right. for for many things. Listen to his podcast; um, much more interesting than ours. Yeah, yeah, his podcast is great. Um, he talked about in one of his books, I think it was uh, his uh, Four Hour Body book, mm-hmm. um, which is the one book that I did read of his. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he wanted to learn how to swim, and he embarrassingly had not even learned how to tread water uh, up to that point, and he was uh, in his thirties, you right. know, writing the book, and in looking for a teacher. Um, because he's such a life hacker and kind of, you know, the expert on meta learning. Mm-hmm. He talked about how most people would look for, if they were a swimmer, they would look for like a Michael Mike, Phelps, a, a Michael yeah. Phelps uh-huh. right? Uh, who would be the worst person to teach uh, uh-huh. a beginner how to swim. You know, someone who was obviously a genetic freak who probably never had to deal with any of the common habits mm, or, right. or struggles, but also someone who was so far removed from square one, you know, in their own experience, you know, who'd climbed that mountain. I mean, the last time Michael Phelps had to deal with any sort of basic issues of swimming, if ever, was when he was like two, Right. you know? So he's 38 years removed from that, or 35 years, however old he is. So unless he was totally passionate about, it's not that great players can't be great teachers or great, you know, or the, the top most accomplished people can't be, but it's a completely separate thing. So right. if they it's are, it's it's coincidence, right. right? They're yeah. they're not related to each other really in any way. Mm. And so Ferris sought out this Japanese guy who's this older dude who's no one's ever heard of, but who, even with uh, some severe physical handicaps, had taught himself also in a, adulthood how to swim and broken several world records for distance swimming, I think it was, or something like that. Mm. Uh, Someone who is clearly the opposite of physically gifted. Someone who is, and I, I, I really think that when it comes to finding your guru, um, it it should start with the realization that uh, being world class at something isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily make you a make you a world class teacher. Yeah, that's so of that true. Thing. That's true. I I can think back to uh, my uh, teachers who were. Uh, excellent performers, yeah, um, and the teachers who were excellent educators, and uh, I can think of very precious few who were both. Yeah, absolutely, um, same, same here. And when uh, my high school choir conductor, who brought our choir to many competitions, which we won, right, like the world over, right? It was sure. like we were a competitive choir, and and uh, and it, we took great pride in our work. <clears throat> we took great pride in the music and he instilled that in us because right. he was, you know, I mean, he was the choir Nazi. Yeah. And, uh, and he talked about uh, being a, uh, a concert pianist when he was younger. That was what he was going to do. He right. Was, uh, piano performance. And he could still pick up the piano and just play the hell out of it anytime he wanted. But learning how to teach a group of kids to sing together. Right. It's an entirely different skill set. Right. 
And he became excellent at that, became excellent at teaching them because he had to learn how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There are almost negative incentives, aren't there? There's, or there's no incentives, I should say, a lot of the time. If you're a super famous player or if you have a body of a Greek god, people are just going to come to you anyway if, you're, right. if you have to take up a side hustle of teaching. And therefore, they're even less incentivized to go through the really rigorous process mm-hmm. of you know, developing as, let's call it a teaching artist, um, <laughs> you know, paying oh, right. homage to the art, art of teaching. So yeah, it's the first thing I would really say to someone is uh, who's looking for their, their guru uh, as an adult. Don't, don't look for... Don't look for the most famous, the most... Ac- right. don't, don't mistake accomplishment with teaching ability, you know, Mm -hmm. try to seek out people who actually uh, can demonstrate not only uh, an ability to teach, but a passion for teaching. Um, Right. Which is interesting. I I find that you have both of those things. I think you are a a very talented and passionate educator uh, and also an excellent performer. The reason you're in Nashville right now is because I've called you to do, um, but we are playing at the CMT awards right. with boys to men right. and uh, Brett young. And right. um, I called Jacob because uh, it, you know, I know that there are, cellists in nashville that well, we not could not find. really no, no. Uh, <laughs> there are. um but really it's one of uh there's uh it, it's like a no-brainer like jacob comes to town not only is that taken care of in my mind it's also i'm like it's a great joy to look forward to doing this and so mm-hmm. um you, so you're doing that Thank but you, also brother. when i was living with you when I was, you know, sleeping on your floor, uh, the floor of your music studio, um, on an air mattress. There was an uh, air mattress. Yeah, there was an air mattress, which I um, blew up every night and slept on, and then rolled up and uh, put it away in the closet every morning so that Jacob could uh, work in his music studio. Um, Jacob is also currently sleeping on an air mattress in my music studio in my house here in Nashville. Quid pro quo, baby. <laughs> uh, and I remember you coming out uh, of your lessons when I was at that when I was at the apartment, and um, you know your students would walk out of the room, and you would be saying something, it would be like wrapping up the lesson, whatever it was, whatever the takeaway was, and it was never something technical. There was never a technical element of how you hold the bow or how you practice or like, it's never like, now make sure you do this at 120 BPM for blah, blah, blah. It was never that. It was always something that like, I was ready to write it down, stuff that I took home with me. Right. And there were, there were things like, I remember that was the first time I heard you say um, that you can't skip your first gig. Right, you know, right, or your first performance, yeah, your first like you concert, can't it's, your first album, right? Well, yeah, whatever that is, right? You got to yeah. do the first one to right. get to the to get to your fifth one, right? Um, and so uh, I've always appreciated the, that about you for your education, and so I would um, love to talk about uh, you as a teacher and 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 how to be a good teacher in a little bit. Sure, yeah, yeah, but maybe we should talk about a few more a few more points of just kind of. Uh, learning as an adult and kind yeah, of finding. Yeah, I want to say I want to talk about this. Um, something that I, I I find value in or, or that I had to learn was um, being willing, being willing to be bad at things. Uh, yeah. As we've as we've gotten older, as I've gotten older, uh, I sort of like wrap up my uh, identity in being excellent at certain things. Right. Um, 
you know, I, you know, I always said like I, I've defined um, my goals in life as I, I want to be a great friend, I want to be a great lover, and I want to be a great artist. Those are the three things that I want for myself. Um, so you're at least two thirds of the way there. <laughs> We'll let I'll you, leave it to the audience's we'll imagination. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so because I've spent my life pursuing those things, I've gotten better and better at them as I've gotten older. Right. Right. Um, it, right. Uh, and I've wrapped my whole life around them. And um, and then there's all these other things that, you know, some things you have to learn, like you have to learn how to do your taxes, right? And you have to like, when you decide to buy a house, you have to, that's a whole new process of learning. And that sure. sucks. And we avoid that at all costs, right. right? I don't want to do the things I'm bad at. I want to pay other people to do them, right. essentially, right? right? That's yeah. what like growing up is about. <laughs> I think that's what growing up is about, is paying other people to do the shit you're bad at. Right. Not even the things you don't want to do, but outsourcing. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, sure. Sure. But uh, I've found that uh, the the willingness to be bad, the like the the callback to being a kid, because you know when you're a kid, you're bad at everything. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good point, and I I, I do find that one of the uh, one of the traits of masters, mm-hmm. uh, master artists, master musicians, is there is this lightness in how seriously they take themselves, how oh, seriously right. they, mm-hmm. they they take things. But for those of us that uh, were not blessed with that that personality trait, um, I think that this really comes into play with the exercising of our meta-learning muscle, right. you know, because what happens is... If we, if we do it often, it definitely removes the... The ego portion of it, right? Right. We, we, we get good at being bad. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because we constantly put ourselves in a place of badness. In other words, right. if you're pushing the rock of the few skills that you're amazing at already in life or elite at, whatever you do in mm-hmm. your job, whatever right. you do at your work, and then you outsource most of the other stuff, which yeah. is generally a good idea, then you're probably not spending enough time failing at things, right? Being being bad at things. Um, and for me, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit in our, our failure podcast, but um, being, spending enough time uh, in a state where you're failing, where you're bad at something can almost in a stoic kind of way kind of inoculate you from from taking it too too seriously. Right. And in a way it can be refreshing because, you know, when you're outside of the one or two things that you've wrapped your entire ego around, mm-hmm. you know, when it's not like in my case, like playing the cello, you know, when it's right. like cooking it a carrot bisque or sure. um uh <laughs> or you know, right. making a cheesecake mm-hmm. or even learning, you know, how to play guitar. Right. Um the stakes are much lower there. Yes. And yeah. so it's 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 a, actually can become refreshing, and that mm. that I think is is where you want to be if you really want to be a power learner for the rest of your life. Right. So you become good at learning, uh, but become good at the process of learning itself, uh, and it doesn't matter exactly what you're learning all the time. It's just the fact that you're constantly engaged in learning. Yeah, you're just right. swimming in newness all the time. Right, you know? and that's I just. I think about this a lot. I think about being a kid 
and how I want to, I constantly like want to get that childlike excitement back uh, about the things that I was bad at at the time. You know, like I talked uh-huh. about the my like the whistling when I learned yes. how to whistle, I was so excited, even though I was so bad. That excitement um, kept me moving forward. You know, every right. new chord I learned how to play on guitar. I learned three chords, and then I wrote a song, and I wanted to play it for everybody because it, yeah. like, of course. And that excitement is great. And now I'm at a point in my life where. Um, I'm so aware of how good I am at some things or how good I am able to be at some things right. that when I do something that isn't at that level, then I have no desire uh, to share it. Right. Well, you know, nothing can be learned when the brain isn't in a state of pleasure, right? Any neuroscientist oh. will, will, will tell you that, right? Um, so uh, essentially, there is something in life to, for example, understanding wait, that... Wait, wait, I want to dissect this for a second. You said any neuroscientist will tell you this. Yeah. The... <clears throat> I learn more from failure, mm-hmm. more from pain. Right. I learn tremendous amounts from pain. This is why. Because you have a different perspective on learning. You know that when you're failing, which is still painful, right, you're also able to have perspective on the fact that you're not just getting better at learning what you're learning, but you're getting better at life. I mean, like the life lessons right. that I was teaching my 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 kids that you mm-hmm. were saying, you know, right. it was like more of a life lesson than a cello lesson. You're saying that's a perspective I, thing. I was trying to sell them on the fact that as they're sucking at, or as they're mm-hmm. struggling with just learning how to hold the bow, of course it's not pleasurable. For years not with the cello, close. you sound yeah. like garbage, and they know it. And that's that's, so how do you convince them that they should, you know, not just quit and just do PlayStation all day, you know, which is clearly much more interesting. Or more pleasurable, at least. Or more pleasurable. It's that, I think, the life lesson aspect, I was telling them on the fact that, wait a minute, you're not just learning how to, like, sound good, you know, or or develop a bow hold. I'm teaching you how to become a more complete human being, in a way. I'm teaching you how to become uh, more excellent at whatever you're going to be in your life. At least that right. was the sales pitch. And again, right. it you know, you can't how make does, it do- But how does that equate to pleasure? How does the pain and frustration of that equate to pleasure? Well, for me, I can I can uh I I feel inoculated from a lot of the painfulness of failing and being terrible at, you know, whatever I'm learning. Mhm. Because I I understand that this is the process of this is this is the process of meta learning. In other words, I'm not just right, learning right. guitar. It's, it's beyond it's beyond the pain of the moment. Yeah, right? exactly. So, okay. It's like I'm but learning about, everything. But what so about this the is... like emotional heartbreak? Like I've I've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've the times I've learned the most about myself is when I've been heartbroken. Like straight up, that is the best teacher. My friend Sasha. We're talking about relationships. Yeah, here. we're talking about relationships. Like straight oh, okay. up, yeah, like that emotional learning. Like that's, like that's pain is the great teacher. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? Well, I, I think you might be talking about a different type of learning. I mean, I don't know if emotional learning or emotional mastery or what, whatever you want to call, about, like yeah, understanding of the way the world works. That's like a learning. That's learning. I guess, I, I, but it's not quite the same as 
skill acquisition or mastering a, a mastering a physical skill. So what you're well, talking about? Well, it's not even just mastering a physical skill, although that would be sort of a cat. I just feel like the type of emotional sort of pro the emotional and i would also argue that when you're in that state of pain you're actually not learning you're learning way after you experience that pain in retrospect um in uh in a very different mental state yeah you can say um, that but i will say this the like pain the, was necessary yeah sure but, but it, I, in my in the state of pain that is that is what required like the the pain that you're in when you're heartbroken mm-hmm. that is the impetus that's the fire that's the reason you start thinking yeah about what it did be i the do impetus wrong or the motivation. what did i do wrong yeah uh-huh. and so it's while i'm hurting that learning is necessary right but right? it's not when learning but if I happens stop, but if i <laughs> that can't be the case because when i stop hurting yeah the necessity for learning goes away i don't need to learn what i did wrong because it doesn't hurt what made the hurt go away oh I have all kinds of things time Right, uh, exactly. And, and yeah. so then, and then the realization but then we, but then of we went what up. was causing the hurt, maybe. No, no, because quite often we make the same mistakes over and over again. We're not paying attention to them if the pain goes away too quickly. Uh huh. Right. That's that's that's, and I don't I don't think that there's a difference between emotional learning, and uh, I mean maybe there is. Maybe a learning a physical skill, uh, and learning to understand uh, like behavioral patterns that are ingrained in us, modeled in us, that show up in shitty ways in relationships. Yeah. Maybe learning those things is give, different. Give me but... an example of something you learned from pain. We might be going super far afield here in this conversation, mm-hmm. but I'm just I'm just curious. Like, give me an example of learning from pain and what was learned, like a scenario, <clears throat> without outing any of your exes. Or... Oh man, I have so many exes. <laughs> Skeletons and I can, and in the I closet. Can out them all. Um, on this podcast that all two of us are listening to as we record it. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure this get edited out. This is a, but this is a, a good, this is a good question. Um, uh, oh man, so many examples. When okay. uh, Emily quit Anchor and Bell, I had, uh, it was my last band. Um, we got offered a record deal. We were meeting with our manager to discuss a lawyer, and I got an email from her saying I quit. Right. Uh, and the, I mean, we're talking about heartbreak. Like, we were on a mission together. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so Emily everything quit. Was looking good. You experienced that pain. Yeah. And then, so tell me what was learned in that moment of pain. In that moment of pain, uh, I assessed. I had to assess everything that led up to this moment that I was not paying attention to. I had to to think about all of the ways in which I misread her, all of the signs that she had given me that this was going to happen that I ignored. Mm -hmm. I had to learn in some ways what I already knew, (laughs) right? Which is important. Yeah. Uh, And then I also had to learn um, what, you know, in those moments, you sort of broken down to brass tacks, like what is important to me? What is like what is important? And so I mean Which that was Oh, um learning that the what I did, what I did with her and yeah. making music and being an artist was still was still of tantamount importance to me. And then of course, you know, 
when you lose something, that's when you know exactly how much it meant to you. Oh, sure. Right. I would argue that all of that is probably not the same type of learning as... Okay, as, so we're talking about a different type of We're talking about a different type yeah, of learning. We're talking yeah. about learning a physical skill versus uh, like a, a emotional... We're talking as opposed to understanding. Or even an intellectual skill versus... Because none of that that you described as learning is I would qualify as like a... Um, like you said, you learned what you already knew. Um, sure. It seems like say, in that moment you were looking for uh, what I would say. You're sitting over there looking at me like there's uh, some confirmation bias going there in that conversation. Like you, you yeah, you're taking that. like emotional stock of things, and you're yeah. um, Re- like realizing when I say learning what I already knew, or like it was a conclusion, it was a thing that I learned, mm-hmm. um, but I had to learn it by evaluating the data that I had already been given. Right. right. But so I that, still, but I learned it. That was a, a new understanding that came in the moment of heartbreak. Right. Or probably after that moment, would you say? Because that first moment of heartbreak, when we are truly heartbroken, yeah, but I certainly we are irrational. I wasn't There's in a state any, of pleasure. And, right. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I, is that... Also, I don't think we need to be necessarily irrational when we're heartbroken. I think generally, yeah, we are. Yeah. I think like a heightened state of emotion is not when you want to make decisions or when you want sure. to... Right. Okay. There's nothing... Maybe not irrational, but not our most rational. Not yeah. definitely <laughs> far from good. Okay. I'll, I'll meet can, you there. Yeah, we can agree on that. Yeah. I'll meet you halfway. I guess, and for me, emotional intelligence uh, and emotional learning mm-hmm. uh, is uh, so much a part, like necessarily a part yeah. of my daily my daily, like my job. Yeah. But uh, our mutual friend TJ Stafford used to say that 90% of his gig is managing perceptions. Right. Um, which I think is <laughs> slightly, you know, a, a sociopathic viewpoint, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. <laughs> the idea that emotional understanding or emotional intelligence uh, is so intertwined in everything we do because we don't live in a vacuum mm-hmm. that that type of learning is as important uh, in that that type of learning can, and, and the, it's actually quite the opposite. I don't think it's possible for us to learn in a state of pleasure when that's the case. We don't know. I mean, and this goes back to our failure podcast. Like we don't know what goes, we don't know what's going right until we start to see what's going wrong. Oh yeah. Well, we can definitely learn from, let's, let, let's use that as, as an example. It's not fun to a lot, you know, especially as, as a kid, it's not fun to record yourself. It's not pleasurable because there's a lot of pain in realizing that you're not as good as your ego believes that you are, right? And and the right. the, the playback puts that in, right. in very very clear, uh, uh, no uncertain terms, yeah, right? You that, were not that in a state of pleasure with. when you learned all the things that were going wrong. With no your play. question, yeah. no question. But the process then of practicing in this incredible flow state using all of the data points that I picked up from, you know, seeing my bad habits and logging them in detail, mm-hmm. uh, that was absolutely pleasurable, like actual, right. uh, like uh, euphorically pleasurable, actually. Sure. There was, uh, pl- there was pleasure that came out of it. However, yeah. saying you can't learn if you're not in a state of pleasure. That's right. I just think that's incorrect. 
Interesting. And I, and I don't think it's incorrect. I just demonstrated that it is. <laughs> well, I would stick to my guns, actually, <laughs> Noah, okay. and, and, say that, okay. and say that I think maybe in, in the case of my, uh, my example, uh, we're confusing, uh, let's call it a motivational event. Like there was an event that motivated uh, my my work, which was the the the, the watching the, the video, watching the video, right? Yeah. And that was very displeasurable. You know, for example, <laughs> I know I know a lot of guys that got that, that have uh, women, for example, that have gotten in the best shape of their life after their boyfriend cheated on them or left yeah. them so that be so that and you know there's no yep. question that there was motivation and pain behind that motive was the motivation um uh and anger and jealousy and all of those right. things but what i'm saying is is that the actual process of uh of the learning itself when we're, we're talking about deep learning here like the type of learning where you're actually you know forming new uh, neural pathways in your brain. That, that's when you're that actually forming new neural pathways in your brain is what learning is. Yeah, Pers- that's right. Like a new idea. Yeah. So I would argue when you were. Are in you saying that that itself? That's that itself is pleasurable. Yes. Right. Okay. So and I, if I that, would also say that you know part of this too is and I, I part of the takeaway from this that I, I initially wanted to emphasize that I think is really important is that. Say you're the, the the type of reader that you kind of just need the executive summary. You you need to kind of skim things. You're a yeah, you're you're a Cliff whole, Notes kind of reader. I right? can't read the whole manual. Right. Okay. Got it. And but then there are other people who luxuriate in. Oh yeah, love the manual. Love the manual yeah. and will need to read the whole manual yeah. to feel whole. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. When we go through life, especially when we're younger in academia and whatever, our teachers and whatever, they're trying to force one type of reader down our throat. Yep. And so we get frustrated in our English class, say, our reading classes, right. mm-hmm. b- being the other type of reader, being forced to be. But th- as an adult, if we can just accept, you know what, I'm a Cliff Notes guy. Right. That's how I learn. And the, the, then you will be a more efficient learner for the rest of your life. Now, how right. do you know you're a Cliff Notes guy? Uh-huh. The pleasure of the experience is, a, uh, is like a meter, right? Uh-huh. It's like right. a, it's, like a um, it's pointing you in the direction of, I want to say it's like a divining rod, right. uh, pointing you in the direction of uh, how you learn best. Pleasure is that meter. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. and and when you follow that meter, you will find, you know, the thought processes or the learning techniques that really work for you. Because it, right. uh, when we were kids, not only do we not pick our teachers, but we really didn't get to learn about how we learn best. Most of us did not have teachers gifted enough and adaptable enough to really discern what type of learner we are, mm-hmm. whether it's a kinesthetic learner, right. an oral learner, whatever, mm-hmm. but really in, in more specific detail and how we learn best. So as an adult, it's incumbent upon us to kind of figure that out for ourselves. And pleasure is to me the probably the critical, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so um, I think that's another important element of that. No, man, I well, I'll sign up for that. Okay, I'll sign up for that idea. Okay, yeah, okay. And so you're I, I love board. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, cool. And we can, you know, I, I I'm still. We don't. We can agree to disagree without actual evidence or or actually doing some research on it. However, the idea that if we can use, uh, if we can use pleasure as a metric for uh, 
how we learn best. Right. To help us what type learn of what type of learner we are. Yes. Let pleasure seems like the most important thing. I uh, decided that I needed to become a better guitar player this year. I'm a professional guitar player. I do what I do um, but well enough. But then uh, there's all kinds of playing that is required of me at times that uh, take me a long time to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to bring my chops up so that I could be more, uh, be a better player. Professional development. <clears throat> Professional development. And so what I decided I would do is I'd learn a lick a day. And that's like not ambitious, just being, just doing it regularly. Sure. Right. And so what I did is I, I spent a lot of time on Instagram following guitar players and I would see them, you know, playing a guitar, solo for 60 seconds and i would record it on my phone or i would save it into my you know guitar to learn folder and i would go sit up and i play that video watch them play it i'd learn a part of it that i really liked and when i was in a state of pleasure that you really liked just yeah when i like that yeah Yeah. listen i'm I'm (laughs) with you i'm I'm agreeing with you now agreeing with you now uh that and if I liked it and I I was enjoying the solo and I was enjoying the thing like I would I would end up you know learning the parts of the solo I wanted to learn and then spending an hour playing it right not playing it over and over again but extrapolating yeah I'd yeah like, like luxuriating yeah luxuriating yeah. yeah that's right. exactly right yeah, and yeah. so that's that's really ma- that's really magical um but it's definitely uh my process and what worked really well for me there was not reading about was not reading or even hearing about why this worked, what, what he was doing, not what was going on, not the analysis. It was uh, just the immersion. It was listening to it and playing it back, listening to it and playing it back. We should talk about immersion in a little bit too. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's, we're there, but you know, but you know, also, you know, Diane always tells me my wife, no matter what diet fad there is, workout fad her clients are interested in, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's Pilates or, you know, right. paleo from A to Z. Whole 30, go on. Showing the fuck up is more important, <laughs> trumps everything. And, and right. what, yeah. what, what keeps us showing up every time? Oh, yeah, it's feeling good. Yeah, 100%. the pleasure of it, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, you keep making that argument. Derek, I'm, I'm with you. We yeah, can, we can move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, can move on. I mean, so then essentially, it's like you're almost guaranteed because you enjoy it so much. Like with your guitar, you're almost guaranteed yeah. the repetitions. Although reps are not all created equal, right? Okay. Repetition is, and, and we all know that repetition is is critical to become successful. If we want to develop a new habit, right? You want to learn right. how to, you know, do a breaststroke, or you want to learn. Uh, you know, a language or you want to learn, uh-huh. you know, something new on your instrument or whatever in life, a new skill. But something that I think adults aren't necessarily uh, hip to, or even kids, but that I think musicians and, and artists, like elite artists are, is the fact that not all repetitions are created equal. Um, and specifically, uh, that habits are the most powerful thing on earth, right? When we repeat things, we're trying to form habits, right? Right. But there is nothing more difficult on earth than unlearning a A bad bad habit. habit. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I would always talk to my, my students about, um, you know, in just in the interest of teaching life lessons is, 
a famous study from, I believe it was University of Texas, Austin, where they had all these piano players and, uh-huh. you know, they, it was this massive study and then they all had to learn the same 10 bars of a piece uh, that none of them had played before. And then they could practice for as many hours as they wanted or as few and any technique they wanted to use. They just had to not practice it after they were done, come back the next day and play it 10 times just to make sure they could really nail it or not. And the top three players all exhibited very, very similar habits. Uh, mm. But the, 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 the biggest takeaway that the researchers noticed is that all of them repeated, you know, the passages a bunch, right? Right. But apparently how many times, how many good reps you get in is, has no bearing on how quickly you learn something. How many times you get it right in relationship to how many times you get it wrong has no bearing on how how quickly and effectively you are learning something. Mm -hmm. The only thing that matters when it comes to repetitions, the only thing is how few times you do it wrong. Wow. Wow. Okay. So in other words, all of your investment you know, in learning that new skill Mm -hmm. and in finding the right guru and all of these things should be going towards doing it wrong as few times as possible. So whether it's breaking down the skill into very small component parts Mm -hmm. or going very slowly, those are kind of your two options, right? Um, That is absolutely the key. And you'd be better off just learning something and doing it, you know, even a small part of that new skill three or four times for three minutes at, you know, peak concentration, doing it perfectly because right. we know that you're you'll walk away internalizing perfect form perfect technique perfect you know whatever you're and that is actually that will get you there quicker than it actually takes a lifetime to unlearn bad habits and most uh, teachers will tell yeah. you so if you want to learn something new minimize wrong reps from the get-go that is absolutely critical structure everything to minimize wrong repetitions uh, or bad yeah. repetitions i remember when you took uh when i decided i was going to learn how to play cello yeah i was i learned how to play mandolin i learned how to play banjo oh um, yeah i remember i, I brought yeah. the trumpet back out and i was like i'm gonna learn how to play cello i got right. this cello learn how to play jacob let's trade lessons i taught you how to play i taught you a mandolin lesson that's right and uh, you were going to teach me a cello lesson. Right. And uh, we spent an hour and a half together, and you wouldn't let me touch the cello. That's right. Yeah. Um, you spent the whole time teaching me finger exercises, uh, holding the bow. Right. And just talking about, talking about, thinking about the way you think about the bow. Right. And I remember being so frustrated because I'm a professional musician right. and this motherfucker wouldn't let me touch the instrument. Right. And, uh, I, uh, and I understand and I understood the value of it, but it also felt like such a power play. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to fuck flexing with you. On you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I remember, remember very clearly like understanding it. Uh, understanding why, but not as well as I do now in context of that particular... Yeah, this is it. This is exactly it. And so what a guru does is is he has the experience to break things down into the smallest possible distance between each element Mm -hmm. of the lesson so that you can minimize intuitive leaps 
minimize bad habits? How do I have this? How do I build things up with the smallest increments between so that we can truly master mm-hmm. each each idea and wow. then and then go back to his first that is what master and because of the way the brain works because you know we see these branches and they're connecting and the connections the connections if you develop a couple of good connections mm-hmm. that can be a springboard you know again we massively underestimate what can be done in or overestimate what we can do in a day and we massively underestimate, underestimate what can be done in a month right. uh, several months a year mm-hmm. you know learning the cello that way i completely understand you can imagine for a kid with a third year attention span and a tenth the amount of discipline you have uh-huh. uh trying to teach a kid that way uh and most teachers break down and uh, eventually, you know, yeah. uh, uh, acquiesce. But if you were to learn cello that way or any skill that way for a month or two months, you would have a foundation right. that would be so solid you could build anything on top it's, of it. It's sharpening the axe, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. it, it it absolutely is yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's fascinating and i appreciate it uh i was definitely not in a state of pleasure when we were when you were giving me that lesson i didn't retain any of it um but i i did i did decide um shortly after that that uh, cello was not for me cello is the hardest instrument i've ever most instruments i can pick up and make music on within a half an hour i can make meaningful music on uh i mean not with any sort of mastery but I can make music. The cello, uh, I played every day for a month and uh, nothing ever anywhere close to music came out of yeah. it. Well, it's not an instant gratification instrument. Uh, and not I would, like the guitar is, I certainly. Would, yeah, like, and I would recommend to most would-be metal learners out there or you know, aspiring metal learners that are listening to this podcast. Don't, uh, don't choose the cello. Yeah, start with very low expectations. Try to actually jump into the, you know, try to... Yeah, learn to play guitar. Jump in, Exactly, yeah. learn to play guitar or piano. <laughs> that's the, those are the instruments I would start with. Always. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Hey, listen, man, this has been a great conversation about uh, learning and certainly education. Maybe next uh, conversation we'll uh, look at the other side. We'll talk about teaching. Oh, that's a great idea. All right, man. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I love you. Love you too, man. All right, this has been the Yellow Light Go podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. And we'll see you next time. Peace.